Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Provoki, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Marina Gibson is an ambassador for Orvis, the Angling Trust, and the Atlantic Salmon Trust. In June 2019, she launched the Northern Fishing School at Swinton Estate in North Yorkshire, where her and her team teach fly fishing while connecting as many people as possible to the great outdoors. In this episode of Anchored, we discuss finding a home base, why working and fishing can feel so exhausting, growing pains, and more. I was born in London, and then when I was two years old, we moved to a place called the Cotswolds, which is uh, sort of in the countryside, but two hours away from London. Why the move? I think my parents, I mean, my my dad, he always uh, worked in London, but I think both of them were originally from the countryside they grew up there and I think they were just ready to move to the countryside especially having young young children as well did fishing start with your parents did they fish yeah so um my my all my family uh love fishing um and we did it a lot when we were younger but it wasn't necessarily something that my brother and I were obsessed with like some kids I meet today and they're so obsessed they've got social media channels and they're like 12 years old and yeah okay maybe their parents you know run the channel for them but they are so obsessed some people some kids have like thousands of followers already it's it's amazing but for us I think it was just a lifestyle we didn't have a choice we were just going fishing because our parents loved it so much especially my mom isn't it really expensive in the UK? Every time I think about fishing, I, I automatically associate it with, you know, salmon fishing, Atlantic salmon fishing. But that's not the case over there, is it? Is carp fishing a big deal? We've got everything, really. Um, that's what why it's so accessible over here. We've got uh, carp fishing. Carp fishing is huge in the UK. Um and course fishing. And we have obviously salmon fishing. Um, a lot of that is based in Sam, um, in Scotland, but we obviously have other rivers in um, England where you can also fish and also Ireland. There's lots of salmon fishing everywhere, although it's getting tougher and tougher, like you know, um, especially in England. 
uh, and sometimes some some rivers in Scotland are struggling. Uh, so you have we have a lot of still waters as well. Still water fisheries are extremely popular and a really great way of getting into fishing. They're very accessible. They're almost a stone throw away from everyone wherever they live. Um, you don't need much kit. You don't need waders. You can just turn up, you know, with a very, very basic rod and just um, learn how to cast. And um, it's just a nice, yeah, easy, accessible um, fishing or fishery from here. And also we have coastal fishing, which is free. You don't need a license. So you can just go, you know, catch sea bass, um, pollock, any sort of ra any wrasse as well, lots of species of wrasse. So we we basically, we have an array of fish that we can catch and some are expensive and others are cheaper. What's the most expensive fish over there? Mm, I would say Atlantic salmon or the river test. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of the river test, but this is pretty expensive. <laughs> Uh, but I would say in some places, you know, in Scotland, you can be paying a lot of money to go salmon fishing, but you could also pay a lot of money to fish some of our chalk streams in the south of England as well. Got it. Well, I've got more questions about the fishing, but let's come back to you here for a bit. So growing up, what... Uh, I'll just ask you one question. Have yeah, you been okay. fishing in the UK ever? No. No, oh, I have not been there yet. You need to change this. <laughs> I've never even... Oh, I think... I think I flew through there, England once. I landed for, uh, there was like an hour of crazy frantic rushing. I think I was on my way. Yeah, I was on my way to the Seychelles and I landed somewhere over there. But no, wow. I've never even stepped off an airplane. I've never been out your way. Oh, you need to and change now, this. We no, can you change it. It's it's on yeah. my list. It's definitely on my list. And it's totally okay. accessible. It's not like it's, yeah. it's not like it's that hard to get over to where you guys are at. So growing up, were you into at the outdoors or did that come later in life? I was obsessed with animals and my horses. I had like a pony since I was, I think I started riding since I was like three years old or something. Um, and I rode a lot and I had a lot of animals as well. So I basically spent my whole time outside with my animals and yeah, looking after them. Um, and even when we were inside, we had a lot of dogs and we had a cat and we used to, um, my parents used to, um, if they heard of any puppies that had been abandoned or something, uh, or the mother had died uh, during birth, we would take the puppies and we would have them. And one, I think, I remember one time my dog Muffin, she lost all her puppies. So we found puppies that had lost their mum and we put them on her um, and they, she took, they took and, uh, and then we had these basset hounds, which was so sweet. And yeah, so lots of animals. It's funny to hear you say that you love animals because like you, I was obsessed with animals and the thought of an animal hurting. I mean, we used to drive by a squirrel that would be killed on the road and it would, I'd have to have like an hour of silence. And so it was always very confusing to me when people would say, you can't love animals if you're into fishing and hunting, but let's focus specifically on fishing. Did you ever get that? Did you get people saying to you, well, how can you love animals and want to go hurt these poor fish in the water? I actually get more grief online than offline. I don't think I've ever really met someone who in face to face who has actually said, why, why, how can you hook a fish? And, you know, if you love animals so much, but um, I do get the odd comment online, you know, from 
someone who doesn't understand it or someone who's an activist. But for me, it's all about conservation and it's all about how we all justify why we go fishing and can you can you answer people um, with conservation background why we do it why we care so much and what goes back in what do we give you know and and a lot of it is if you know you have to ask the question if we went around if anglers went around then who would really care for the fish because i'm pretty sure most of the people who don't go fishing don't really care about fish um the majority of people protecting the the fisheries um not just the waterways are people who who fish um and that's that's not including kayakers and people who walk their dogs and uh, wild swimmers you know this is becoming um really popular in the uk but for anglers we really care about the aquatic fly life and the fish because it is a, a circle of life you know and um that for me i can justify why i go fishing and it is difficult because you are at the end of the day you know putting a hook in a fish's mouth right um and that's why i think for me it's really important to always try and um improve your catch and release techniques like i remember when i was younger i i mean half of me half of the time i i killed what i caught aha um, i'm gonna interrupt you because that's kind of where yeah that's where my brain was kind of you know lingering because as as a kid probably like you it's not like you're saying oh my gosh i love animals now i want to go and catch this fish just to you know let it go i, I think the reason why it was a natural progression or evolution back then is because you, you weren't looking at them in 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 an adornment right you were looking at them as food so i'm assuming that you started off by taking your fish to bring home and eat well it depends what kind of mood i was in so i remember we went on this um big boat in um out at sea and we were we were as a big family i think there was another family there as well and we were catching all sorts of things and we were putting them in these buckets big buckets and they were all going off to market and each fish was just slammed in the buckets and every time I looked down at the fish, they were all flapping about. And I said to my mom, I'm going to stop putting these back. So I started putting each fish back into the ocean. And, and then when I, when I was 11, I caught my first Atlantic salmon and the ghillie, normally you kill your first Atlantic salmon. It's like a celebration, a tradition. And the ghillie asked me if I wanted to keep or release and I released, but then I would, for example, I pretty much killed every single brown trout I ever caught when I was younger. And my, I, I definitely, my, my, um, my way of thinking and my actions are definitely different and more, um, I would say consistent now than I was when I was younger, but definitely I didn't really think about it when I was younger because my parents would kill fish left, right and center. You know, they would kill all their salmon they caught and they would fill their freezer. So we had salmon for the whole year. Um, but now obviously that's changed massively in, you know, Atlantic salmon in this country is pretty much going to all catch and release. I mean, most people are catch and release now. Yeah. And again, we'll come back to that too uh, later. So you're growing up, you move to the country, you're a pretty normal kid, you love animals and you're fishing with your family here and there. Does that have me pretty caught up? 
Yes. So when do you start going fishing solo, taking it on as your thing and not a family thing? So I, we fished as a family and up until the age of about 11. And then when I was 11, my parents separated. And that's when from 11 years old to probably 2021, 20, my mom and I would go fishing together. And actually since then I've, I haven't really gone fishing with my dad. Not that um, we wouldn't love to. It's just something that we didn't carry on together, like my mom and I. And then I left when I was 18. I moved to New Zealand for a couple of years, random. But I, I basically took a year off and the first stop was New Zealand. And I was like, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. This is really fun. <laughs> so I stayed and I did a little, I lived um, near a river and I started sort of I think we had a spinner and I started chucking my spinner out but this is as far as it goes and then when I came back to London um, I I moved into a flat and I moved um, I was I went to uni out in New Zealand so I did my first year of uni out there and then I came I transferred back to uni in London for my second and third year it was all quite complicated um, but when I was in London, I, I, I don't know whether I was looking for something, an escape or something to save me because at the time I was very uh, unsettled. I was really unbalanced. I was kind of, I don't know, every weekend would repeat itself. I would go out with friends and, and then um, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened, but when I was 21, my parents, my dad said, okay, this, I'm going to get you a nice present. That's the last nice, you know, big present you'll get. And um, I think traditionally my mom said, okay, well, why don't you get some jewelry? And I thought about it for a while. So it was months after my 21st and I, I still hadn't decided. And then I, and I, I honestly can't, tell you when it was maybe it was I went to a fishing fair maybe I went to the game fair but something made me ask my my dad and my mum for um my own rods so they had obviously had they've got loads of loads of rods we had used them on our family trips but I had never had my own so this is when I got given my first trout and salmon rod whilst I was living in London um I think I got my first car so I had I now had a car and that meant that I could go fishing by myself so I asked around and talked to people and asked them where the nearest fishery was where I could get started because the thing is is when you fish with your parents for that long you become so dependent on them um for everything for for you know time on flies or casting um and you have, you know, most of the time we would be salmon fishing. So we'd always have a ghillie. So if you got, you know, stuck in a tree, the ghillie would help or your mom would help or my dad would help. Um, so this was really a time where I had to learn a lot very, very quickly. And um, I went to Zion Park, which is was about 20 minutes away from where I lived in London. And I just started casting. And this was just a, it kind of looks like, uh, it's a still water, but it looked like a river. It was really long and th it kind of went on for about a mile, I think. Um, and it was just stocky trout. Um, 
And so I just started catching, you know, some, some weekends I would blank, other weekends I would catch fish. And if I caught a fish, I'd go back and I'd be seeing friends that evening. So I'd give them a fish as a present um, instead of like, you know, like a housewarming gift or a, a house party gift. People would bring like booze. I would just bring the fish. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then I started going further afield. I started sort of going to bigger still waters. I remember I turned up at Grafham and I didn't know how to drive a boat. And um, I asked them whether there was anyone who could take me out. And there was this old guy and I can't remember his name, but he took me out. And it was, it was so nice, especially on entry level by yourself, just having people like, and you'll know this, there are a lot of people out there who will help you, um, which is so great for beginners because a lot of the time, I think if you turn up to a fishery and you see someone struggling, um, you you would, yeah, most people anyway would help. From from that stage, I just was so obsessed. And I, I think it was, I think I became obsessed because it saved me from, it challenged me and it also filled a void, filled something for me that was missing. Um, and yeah, I think you know, I wasn't in a great place. And then suddenly fishing was my everything. And that's all I wanted to do. Uh, so I put in a lot of time and effort to perfect casting, although obviously you can never perfect it because you can always be better. But, you know, I remember there was a guy at Zion who walked up to me and he said, um, you'll be you'll be good in a year. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> like he meant he meant you know really well, and he was really encouraging. But you know that kind of comment makes you laugh. Five years later, you think, wow, okay, I certainly put in the effort, and I deserve that comment now. Um, so yeah, and then it just grew from that. That's so. How, how long ago was that then? Ten years ago. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. Because I feel like you were on my radar 10 years ago then. Did you, I wonder if I, I wonder if you were on my radar pretty early in your, into the, you know, within your entry to the sport because hang on. I mean, to be honest. Maybe, maybe, maybe about eight years ago. Does that sound right? Yeah, probably. I can't remember. I think I think uh, I think I would have started posting in around 2013. So yeah, that actually makes sense. Gotcha. Um, but when I started, because social media and fishing was social media came after. But when I was fishing and posting stuff just for fun. It wasn't something that I was doing because I knew that there was an industry and I knew that I could, you know, build on this and, and try and get a job in as, as a fisherwoman or, you know, angler. Because for me, that didn't exist. I didn't, you know, it was just, I was just posting trout just for fun because I was so obsessed with it at that time. Um, and you would have been probably there from from the start from the start of when I actually came back into fishing so you would have been one of my inspirations from from day one. Oh, that's it's so cool because it's such a small world even though it's so far away isn't it yeah yeah 
So then where did you end up? Where did you end up going from there? Did you, so you're posting on social. I thought I remembered you almost immediately getting into teaching casting. So what's the next step in your journey? So after I'd done a lot of um, stocky bashing, we call it stocky bashing in the UK. (laughs) Um, Do you call it stocky bashing too? No, but I have heard that. (laughs) So after I'd done a lot of that, and I was obviously, I was um, doing salmon fishing. I would do salmon fishing once a year with my mum every year. And then, then I did my angling trust level one exam. So I reached out to a couple of people to, to ask them how I improve and, um, you know, are there any exams out there? I must have, someone must have mentioned it. And so I researched it a little bit. And so I did my level, my angling trust level one coaching exam. And this wasn't, again, this wasn't something I did just because I wanted a job. I actually just wanted to improve um, and see where it um, took me. But at the time I took my level one, I wasn't that confident. So I decided- What is this level one? It's not through the Federation of Fly Fishers, right? No. So is it the Europe thing or the, yeah, tell tell, tell me what it is. It's it's, um, it's, basically they have, Angling Trust is an organization who have, and I, I actually don't know when they started up the um, level one and level two coaching exams, but it's under the Angling Trust umbrella. And you there's a level one and level two, and it's all about coaching. It's not actually, there's not much casting. There's a little bit of casting and there's a little bit of teaching, but not the, the main, the bulk of it is coaching and how to build rapport and how to be safe. So, it's, it's actually a really, really good starting point. For me, it was perfect because you can do a casting exam, but actually just to learn the health and safety and every, all the other things that you don't think about is really, really helpful. So, but again, at that time when I passed my level one, I thought I'd give it a few more years until I took my level two, just because, again, I didn't feel that confident um, at that time. So you started with that. At, at that point, when you took that course, did you start thinking, I wouldn't mind teaching this or guiding or being involved professionally somehow? And where were you working at the say, at the time of all of this? Were you, did you have a job or were you just a student yeah, at the so, time? Um, I was working in London and my last job in London was, I was working for a commercial property company. And I had the most awesome bosses and they were really, um, they were really interested in the fact. They were like, are you going fishing again this weekend? <laughs> like, like always taking the piss. And um, they were really, uh, I loved that job. I loved my bosses. They were really great. And, um, but all I wanted to do was go fishing. Um, and I was, and it's actually one of my regrets is that at the time, because I was so obsessed with fishing and all I wanted to do was go to the countryside. I didn't want to be in the city. And I really regret resenting London because I kind of put myself in a, um, in a kind of different, I, I sort of took myself out of London before I was even, before I'd even left. Um, so I didn't socialize as much. I mean, fishing pretty much ruined my social life. Um, and I decided that I would take my level two because I had met my boyfriend at the time and he wanted to leave London as well. 
So that suited me. And I was basically just getting ready to leave London. And I think actually at this time, I had already taken my level two. So I think I was actually getting ready because I had already done my level two, which meant I could, um, I could, well, not legally because you can coach um, without your exams. But um, for me, especially as a woman in the sport, I wanted to I wanted to take as many exams as possible so people could take me a little bit more seriously. So I took my level two and then, um, and I didn't even know about the casting exams at this stage. I had no idea. Again, I think the industry is when you're in it, it seems so small, but actually when you're outside it, there's so much to learn about it. And so when, now, when did I leave London? I actually don't know the year I would have left London about five years ago I think I had taken my level two left London decided to leave my job and see whether I could find a career in in fishing wait five years ago what did that look like oh this is fascinating what did that look like five years ago because I know when I decided to make that move it was before social and so you know, when you wanted to make it a career and like you, I had to look at making it a job and looking at it, at it on paper and going, okay, I need to write X amount of articles, uh, maybe sell some merchandise. I've got to do some guided trips. I need to teach this many classes and I need to speak for this many clubs. That was how I was going to map out my career. How did it look five years ago with this new world of technology? I was endorsed by all this. So the two years before I left London, I was with Orvis. So when I left, they supported me, which I'm forever grateful for. And then I started doing a few days on a test. I was doing a few days up in North Yorkshire where we moved to. And But to be honest, I was really struggling. I was struggling big time. And actually, I was struggling. I would probably say I was struggling for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny yeah, because yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I also struggled for the first five years. And within that five yeah. years, I'd grown a pretty big name for myself. And people were like, oh, yeah, well, she's bawling. I mean, I remember seeing video or comments on videos and they'd be like, must be nice to be rich. And meanwhile, I'm <laughs> like selling things <laughs> on my house at garage sales to try to make a living. Um, and then one night it did honestly flip. It just it, it really, truly switched and all my hard work paid off. And that's a different story for another day. But um, how did it feel having people looking at you? assuming that you had all, were, were successful and doing well. Meanwhile, you know, you're struggling to make ends meet. So I can actually relate really well to what you just said. And this year just gone was the first year since I've given up everything to do fishing. Five, um, five years? Did it take you five years? Five years. This, yep. this season was the first season that I've actually um, put – money into my savings after five years yeah it's a long five years too I don't think people I mean people who have done it understand how hard it is but that I I want people to understand because people reach out to me all the time they reach out to friends of mine all the time they probably reach out to you all the time saying I want to quit my job and I want to make a living at this and you don't want to discourage them but you want them to understand that this does not happen overnight I mean everybody knows Mm -hmm. a, a good investment 
I think the return on an investment should be, uh, depends on the investment, but I think, I know the investments I looked at, if I haven't been making a profit within three years, I'm a little bit mm, uncomfortable about moving forward. So a five-year five investment to finally start to see any profit is a long, it's a long old commitment and it's got to be something you really love. Obviously, we're not in it for to become rich and famous, but yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, it is a long time and it's been <laughs> stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it was super stressful. You go up and down, you have good days and you have bad days. And and actually I received a, a, a comment on one of my photos the other day. And actually this can probably, we can develop what I'm just about to say later. But um, he said, be nice if you fished where us mere mortals did, day ticket reservoirs, etc." I'm like, I, firstly, that's where I came from. Secondly, I don't have time to go fishing just for myself. I was saying um, the other day to Stefan, I was saying, I think this season, the first season where I have been able to put savings into my account is the first season where I've, I feel like I've lost myself a little bit. I have lost my path. I've lost um, why I do it. And I, that's why I need to, I think I need to have a break. I need to go and find that again, find the love for it and find and do do it for myself, not for everything else. And it's so easy to just get caught up in everything and forget, you know, um, what makes it so exciting for you. I think. Yeah, that's really important. Nip that in the butt now. Even if it's a project, sometimes the best thing you can do is just take on your own project. Or uh, for me, that project was buying a little piece of land. And then turning that into my, you know, my little homestead. Because uh, then at least that way you've got something for you. And you can still work around it. There's there's all sorts of ways to monetize various projects. But nip that in the butt while you can. But it's funny, those comments about being a mare, you know, being like a, a, a quote-unquote normal angler. It's just so offensive and just shows how, how disconnected some people are. But Unfortunately, in the fly fishing industry, there are certain people who do get to bypass all of that and just immediately hop on onto fancy trips. But, but it's, yeah. Anyway, we'll save that for another for another day. Yeah, I think um, going back to the um, fishing, why you do it, and what, you know why we love it. I I guess with it's really difficult to juggle everything all at once and. I think the main reason why I haven't been fishing at home so much is because I do my trip. Let's say I go to, for example, I've gone to Russia. Then when I get back, I have so much to catch up on that I don't fish for the next two months. Yes, so not point. even to my local reservoirs or, you know, it's, and, you know, with lots of different businesses and things that you're doing, it's so difficult to then take your, you know, I, I don't even have weekends anymore because you just work through. Um, especially when you don't have a family, you can just work, you know, without anyone sort of saying to you, you know, okay, hello, there's me. I need some attention. Um, so it's, it's really easy to um, get carried away with it all. That's why I have to take a step back right now. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, before we talk about taking a step back, let's talk about when you were taking your steps forward. So, you start guiding where where's the next step in your evolution then okay so i think 
the Northern Fishing School came in, this is our third third season. So that's the, I was at a stage where I was doing a little bit of guiding here and a little bit of guiding there. And I really needed a base. I needed a place where people could come to me instead of me traveling everywhere because I was going up to Scotland, down south, to the east, to the west. I was going everywhere. And I, because I didn't have a base, I was going to people instead of, instead of the people coming to me. So this is when I was going around. I was looking on Google Maps where I live. I was going onto Google Maps and I was trying to find a lake where I could base myself because I, I was catering mainly for beginners. And I think at this stage I had passed my FFI exam. Uh, so I had done my CI. I was a qualified uh, single-handed casting instructor. And so uh, things for me where, you know, I had more confidence. And that's when I was like, okay, I need somewhere, I need a base for myself. And I was going on Google Maps and I was trying to find lakes and I would literally turn up to people's like houses and businesses being like, are you using this lake? And there were a couple of people who were like, okay, it sounds interesting, but obviously this mad, crazy fisherwoman was trying to take over the lake. So a lot of people were saying, actually, it's not vacant. This is our business. We do weddings and it would be disturbing us. And then I came, um, I hadn't find found a lake uh, yet, but I did have a meeting with Swinton Hotel, which uh, they were very close to where I lived and their hotel. They've got lots of facilities and lots of activities as well. So I, and at the time, no one was, um, no one was running their fishing. So it was vacant. And I asked if I could start corporate events with them on their, I actually don't think it was even the lake. It was on their river. So I was going to bring maybe six people, uh, take them salmon fishing or trout fishing and have a picnic. And it was with the the hotel owner, the managing director, and I think someone else, and I can't remember. And it was really, it was a very intimate um, meeting, but at the time I was quite nervous because I wasn't established. I was just taking a punt. I was just asking people basically to help me. And the owner of Swinton Hotel, he, um, he said, okay, what's your plan? And I said, well, I want to start up the Northern Fishing School. And I just need a lake um, for beginners mainly just to get them into fishing and then we can take them to the river. And he was like, well, I've got loads of lakes. You can, you know, choose, choose, pick, pick, pick your favorite one. So um, that was, that was that. I basically went around all of his lakes, found the one which was most appropriate, which is right next to the hotel, really easy access and quite small as well, which is for me perfect for beginners, especially kids and, um, you know, even people with um, access accessibility issues, people could go into this premises really, really easily. Um, so the Northern Fishing School was born literally from that meeting two months later. I had two months to get it ready before the season. We did all the, um, the graphic design and marketing, the logos, everything happened within that um, time frame. And we had a big launch and we invited lots of people, lots of kids and a few local people just to spread the word. And we had a couple of newspapers cover, cover it. And that was really it. And that was the first season 
and it, I think we actually started a little bit late. We started in June and the following season was COVID. So we also started in June and um, the following this year, uh, I think it was delayed again because of COVID, but still we've, we've had our main, this, this season has been our, our longest one. And um, I think what's really great, especially like looking at statistics, you'll know in the first year, I think we taught 60 people, then it went up to 150 in our second year. And then we've done more than 400 people this year, this year, just gone. And I don't yeah. know whether that's COVID and touch wood, it's not. Oh, that is amazing. How many instructors do you have? And are they just there for the day? Like, tell us more about the school. So now we have four guides and they are part-time. One of them is actually pretty much full-time. He does, um, you know, most weeks he'll do five days a week. Um, so we have, we have Benny who started right from the start. He came in, he's a ski instructor in Verbier in Switzerland and he's born on the slopes and he loves fishing and he came to me literally knocking on my door being like I love fishing I want to be a guide can you help me and this was when I was literally just starting up the northern fishing school so I didn't actually need an extra pair of hands but I was like you know what you're a really cool guy yes so he started with me from the beginning and then we have Brian Towers who's our highest qualified um guide and instructor with um app guy and he's been with us from the start as well and then we've just recruited a new guy called ben fox who is great he's really young very enthusiastic and works with um children with um disadvantages and he's just the perfect candidate for the school and the thing that's what's so great as well is that we have these different personalities so we match people depending on um, we match people with the guides depending on their personalities and ability and experience and uh, needs and then um, we also have a guy called Charlie Brown though who um, again is fairly I mean he lives a little bit further away so he has to come down and sometimes he has to come two hours just to guide for the day and go all the way back up if we can't find another guide so it's um not ideal for him but he is uh really loving it and especially he's kind of come in at the start of his journey as well because he hasn't been guiding for that long so we've kind of taken him through the steps and there's a certain way that I would say we teach and this is all down to the fact that I did my casting exam with FFI and I learned so much. And I had this amazing mentor, Chris Haig, and, and also Shaker. But uh, Chris, I spent a lot of time with um, during my prep. And he, his teaching method is he's very, um, he thinks of everything. He uses a lot of props. Um, he he's just it's, it's so his mannerisms and everything, the way that he teaches and makes people at, feel at ease, and also the way that he explains everything is just so clear and crisp. And so at the school, I've tried to take as much as what I've learned from FFI and taken it to the school and how we also start because actually when we started in our first year at the school I would say that 
I wasn't as experienced. I had taken my FFI, but I was still fairly new to it. So there are things where I, you know, we, for example, and you, you look back and you think, oh man, I missed a trick or, oh, I'm so gutted that those people who came, I probably couldn't, I didn't give them as best service as they could have got. And you think down, but you live and you learn and you actually improve all the time. And I think at the beginning of when we started, I don't think we did as much grass work with our clients as we do now. So we would just take people straight onto the lake or we would take people straight onto the river. But now grass comes first. We make people, you know, sometimes let's say people are coming for a four hour session and they're a beginner. Sometimes we spend two hours on the grass. And if it's a full day, eight hours, we we could spend half a day on the grass doing activities because I would rather people come to the school and let's say they've, they're a beginner and they've, they want to experience on the lake for the for catching a fish for me is the last thing that they, you know, it's like the cherry on top. We, we want them to go away. Say, you know, if someone asks, how is your fishing? We want them to say, we learned so much. Now we can go and do it as opposed to we caught so much. Oh, I don't know how to tie this knot or, Oh, I don't know how to cast or, you know, and these grass steps are so crucial because we take people from right from the start, right from the grassroots. And, and then we give them the confidence so that when they leave, they can do that all by themselves. And I think that's what we missed out on the first year. Um, but again, you live and you learn. It hurts looking back, doesn't it? I mean, I, I physically mm. blush when I think of lessons or some of the demonstrations at trade shows. Oh, I still have some <laughs> that make me want to just lay down and die. Or old pieces of writing that you read now and you're like, how did this ever pass an editor? I mean, but the thing is, is if you let it stop you, then everybody will just think that that was your maximum potential. So you almost have to just keep improving to show yourself and others that you're learning, right? <laughs> I, feel, I literally feel exactly the same. Exactly the same. You're like, and if I stop now, then you guys are going to think that's the best I've got. <laughs> Damn it, I've got to keep working my ass off. And I think that's why it's really sad to see that when someone and I I know because I've I've felt it and I've 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 um learned I've felt that firsthand where you put something out there and you um you know you open yourself up and then you hear people or you see people sort of ripping you apart and yeah it's difficult and it's very easy to do it yourself you know um but I, I try and um, sort of, because I know how it feels. Um, and I think it is changing. You'll see this, that it, you know, the industry and the community is changing. They are being more acceptable, I think, <laughs> most of the time. It feels like it. But again, it's been so long since I was, you know, a quote unquote rookie that I can't, I don't know if it's just that people are treating me differently because anyone who's tried to break my knees has already done it. Or if it's just that society has changed as a whole. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. 
Altacovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. With your school and the trips, and because I don't know if you're like me, but do you look at your career as two parts? You've almost got yourself, the per, the person, as one brand, and then you've got your company as another brand, right? And and both of those brands are full time jobs trying to manage because there's a lot of administration and administrative work that goes into them. I know who will manage you, the person, but the school. Who's doing all the administrative work with that? Is that also you? Okay, so I was doing it up until now. And I, so for the first two years, I was doing it all my myself. I was doing invoicing, the emails, and it was, we were still doing quite a few people, but it was not as busy as this season just gone. And it was crazy. I spent a lot of nights just working until 12 or one o'clock because I, if I didn't get that done, and because I was also guiding a lot, then as soon as I came off the water, I was emailing and I wouldn't go to sleep until the early hours of the morning trying to catch up. So that's when I, at the beginning of the season's just gone, I decided I need someone to help me with my admin. Um, I actually need to, I've, I guided a, probably half as much as I did in the first two years, just because I can't, I can't be on the water and also run the businesses as well um, because otherwise, and and still I have nights where I work until one o'clock because I just have to, you know, um, get it done. But I have admin help now, which has changed my life. It's amazing, especially for the school. I do my all my own stuff, but for the school, this, this season has been so crazy that if I had been doing the admin, I think I would have quit altogether. <laughs> Yeah, because if you're putting through that many students, that's a lot of emails and then you're invoicing, you're trying to coordinate schedules. Are they able to stay at the hotel? Can you do you do overnight trips at the school? Yeah, so the hotel has the main hotel and then it also has bivouacs. So it has yurts and log cabins. So it has everything for everyone, basically, and all different price points as well. So it is um yeah, it's a great it's a great estate. It's amazing and um, there's just so much to do there as well. It's not just fishing. You can go clay shooting or horse riding or go and see the birds of prey. There's loads of stuff going on. 
Why do you think having a career in fly fishing is so exhausting? I have a couple ideas, but I'd like to hear your ideas. That's a really good question. I think there's a few uh, sides to it. I think that the first one is if you're working for yourself in the fishing industry, you have to bring in so many different things to make it work. So, I mean, for example, you could depend on a brand or a company, which actually is easier because then you get your two days off or your days off uh, to go and have a breather, go and fish for yourself and, um, or spend time with family and friends. But if you work for yourself, for some reason, it just takes up all your time. And I think, I genuinely think, well, I've heard on the grapevine that that's why so many relationships and marriages fail because if you, and I, I can't put my finger on it, but you have to work so many extra hours and you are so immersed in everything. You have to, you have to know your stuff. You have to read the books, you have to write articles or you have to guide or you have to, you know, learn learn about the the river whilst you're not guiding you there's so much to do and there's also emails and communication with people and it just it eats up all your time right my the last 10 well since I've been doing this for five years the last five years have gone so quickly but I honestly feel like I haven't actually had a rest (laughs) I've had like the odd trip which feels like half a holiday, but half work. So, you know, it's, um, it just zaps all your energy. And I don't know why, maybe, you know. Well, I have a couple of theories. I think the exhaustion starts because you love being outside. And so there's almost like this cutoff point in the day and that's when the sun goes down. So you're trying to use the day as much as you can, because for one of two reasons, either you love it and you just want to be out there doing it, or you're trying to become better and more knowledgeable, right? So you've chewed up, you're chewing up all this time and counting down for the night. And then if you're doing it professionally, that's when your second job starts, right? So, you know, you, you've got, I always, when I was guiding, especially saw it as two parts of my work day. I had my eight hours of light. That was my first part of my job. And then I had my eight hours of administration, which was my second part, the second part of my job. And then I think another big part of it is the pressure. There's this pressure in our heads of, if this doesn't work and I'm living my dream because you know, there's all this hype, right? You're living your dream. You're doing what you love. The media gets involved in, you know, there's newspaper articles. So-and-so is doing what she loves and made a, a dream job. There's this pressure of, if this doesn't work, there's nothing else I can do. What else am I going to do? Right? So I think that pressure is exhausting. Um, and then reputation and, and some anglers and guides and personalities just don't care. And they're the ones that you get to read all the fun stories about on the, on the forums and on social media. But <laughs> I think we care about a reputation. So there's a lot of being on. So, you know, when I didn't care and I, I was always nice, but if I ran into someone on the river and I knew that I was losing hours and I had to get going and get stuff done, I would say to them, look, I've got to go. Whereas now I have to be on a lot more. So there's a lot more smiling, a lot more listening, a lot more time chewed up being pleasant. So by the time that you factor in your reputation and any sorts of pressure and then the daylight being lost, and then also the two parts of the job, and there's also the pressure of seasons, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, I only have five months to make it rain. So I think we're just built to burn ourselves out. 
Yeah, and I think that I'm hoping uh, last off season, so our main season is from April to October, we're, we're actually opening all year round, but I always will leave for winter somewhere, <laughs> whether it's Europe or whether it's further afield. But I hope that because last year we were all locked in and that was my time to get away and release and go fishing for myself. And to be fair, we did a lot of winter fishing, um, but, you know, we did 21 days straight in Rügen, which is the Baltic coast. And we were wading in like three degree weather and it was so cold. And I remember the last, in the last few days, I was like, this is the first time I've not enjoyed fishing. I just want to enjoy my life again. Please can we go home? It was so damn cold. And so this, I hope that from how I feel right now and how sort of uh, snowed in I am, I hope that go, by going away, I can sort of revamp and then come back with a fresh mind because I think it is important. I think if you are a guide or you, you're you doing seasonal work, I think it's so, because it is intense. It's so intense because it's a season. It's not all year round. You know, you have to, like you said, make the hay, um, make hay whilst the sun shines. So you, yeah, it's important to get away. Even if it, it doesn't have to be for, you know, months on end, but just to have that break away from something and um, refresh everything is so important. Yeah, yeah, it's all coming back to me now, guiding. I remember guiding at the end of the season and all of us just hated it not the guiding but we just wanted some time off to be able to sleep so all sorts of reasons to be tired now I know speaking of being tired that it's getting late there what time is it in the UK it is quarter to 12 okay so we're gonna let you get ready to finish up some packing you're not flying out tomorrow are you no I'm flying in about a week okay good I'd like to hit you up with some quick tips and tricks I noticed on your website, you've got this wonderful blog post about on grass casting. You've got a triangle drawing. Can you tell me what that exercise is so people can try it at home? Okay, so for beginners. Mm -hmm. So if you were to build a triangle with those cones, you stand on the point of the cone. And then you look out to your left cone and your right cone. So... Um, we don't, at the school, we don't tend to, I mean, we start ground up. So we talk about footwork. We talk about how you hold your rod um, what different grips are. And then basically, if you think about it, if you see, I always say, um, you know, river runs through it, how Brad Pitt is casting back and forward, back and forward. This is the overhead cast. So the first stages of this would be that if you imagine that you're, your back stop and your forward stop is creating a V in up above um, off your right hand shoulder or your left hand shoulder, depend, depending on whether you're right-handed or left-handed. So you've got this V, which is your casting arc. Now your casting arc is this triangle. So you've got your back stop and you've got your forward stop. So your back stop, if you're going over your right-hand shoulder, would be your right cone and your left cone would be your forward stop. So what you do is you lay the line down and then you want to accelerate to that other cone and stop and just lay the line down. And this is really, this is a good exercise for timing as well. And just to, um, 
feel the stops and and see the lines straighten. So you do this a few times and you get uh, comfortable and your line should be, um, when you stop, your line should be uh, going out nice and straight. So you have your straight fly line straight uh, to your tapered leader, to your fly. So a nice straight line. And you keep repeating this and just laying the line down every time you come back to that stop and forward to that stop. Now, then you can climb the ladder. So you want to get up to this overhead beautiful casting that Brad Pitt was doing. So you want to climb the ladder. So you can then tilt the trajectory of your casting arc a little bit up. So now you'll be side casting and you'll be going a little bit faster because you don't want to tick. Ticking is when you touch the ground grass when you're uh, with your fly when you're going back and forth so now you're going back stop forward stop and you're still stopping on the right the left the left and right hand cone okay so you've still got these stops and you've got the cones to mark these stops and then eventually you'll get up over your head so um but with fishing i mean this is a good exercise as well because you'll be doing some side casting and some overhead casting. So it's a good exercise to start with because it kind of shows you that you can, your casting arc is on a pivot. You can do side casting. You can tilt it forwards or tilt it backwards. Um, yeah, I hope I explained that okay because... <laughs> you, you, you did, and I'll also link it in the show notes. So on the website, we've, we've got show notes, and I'll, I'll be sure to link this because I think it's an excellent post. I thought about something the other day because... I think, again, like you said, there's so much pressure in the industry. And when you put yourself out there, you have to always grow. And at the school, I feel like it's my duty to think of new things that we can do to improve our classes. And uh, the other day, I was thinking of something really cool that I'm going to start up this season. You know how you go to the gym and you have circuits? So you do circuits, you do these way, you know, you do... I don't know, dumbbells or I don't know what else, like what else? Bench pressing, squats. Bench pressing, yeah, exactly. Um, As you can tell, I'm not much of a gym geek. But um, what I thought was is we, because we do so much grass work, we have this big grass area which is um, near the lake and the grass is nice and short so we can – we can cast with yarn on the end of the line and it doesn't get stuck. And so I thought of doing the, the this uh, circuits. So you go from one exercise to the next. So you have maybe a tracking exercise and you have this triangle exercise and you have all these exercises. So you can have people just going around and you have like 10 exercises. And I think f- for me, it's a way of trying to get people to work together as a team, talk about it and there's always things that you can do and, and improve as a as a tutor and as a as, as a guide, and um, this is just one of the things that I thought about, and maybe it will will help other people as well. But just some fun exercises because you know when you do, you know when you go somewhere and you're learning a new skill, exercises can be really fun. So yeah, I'll let you know how those go. Um, before we wrap it up, right at damn near almost midnight is there anything the really glaringly obvious that i've missed as far as your life or your career goes um i would say i would like to highlight the charity that we've just launched yes please what's that it's called cancer and pisces and it basically started with um a guy called mick may he wrote a book called cancer and pisces 
and Quilla Publishers published the book and they sent me an email to see whether I would review the book. So they sent me a copy. I read the book and I for some something uh, I, a man I'd met a few years before he had come to one of my fishing free events in London and he said he had prostate cancer and he was trying to find a cancer charity that would allow him to go fishing and just get out there and you know take um find that haven and try and um escape what he was going through and he couldn't find anything and I know that um Casting for Recovery is out there and it's incredible and the stuff that they do is amazing. And it's uh, it started in the US, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's everywhere now, right? Yeah, I think so. Or spreading, spreading pretty rapidly. Yeah. So this came into my mind when I read the book. So I decided I would reach out to Mick and see whether he, because we have the venue at the school, I thought that we could use it as a pilot venue to see whether it would work. And what the idea would be, what well, what the idea is, is that we offer free fishing centers to cancer sufferers and they can bring a companion with them too. So once a month we open up for one day and we have two sessions of four hours and a picnic in between. So the first a lot of people come in in the morning, they have picnic with the arrivals of the second session. And so it's basically from Mick, I haven't actually spoken much about the book, which is the most important thing because it is the inspiration. Mick has a very rare cancer from um, asbestos being in an office where they were uh, doing some work and the asbestos, he was sitting, you know, very, very close to this work. And that's how he came in contact with the asbestos. And so he was given, I think he was given a year to live and he's, I think he's on his 13th. I hope I got that right. As soon as I picked up the phone, I knew that he was, this was destined to happen. Um, because he's he was so kind he was so accommodating he wanted to know more and so basically from then on we've been working on this project and we've we've just recently launched and we've got an amazing team of trustees and we bring in our different credibilities different um experiences so now we've launched we We'll have our first free, and by the way, the membership, basically on our website, we have um, membership. So people can sign up for a free membership. They can also sign up for a free membership plus a book, uh, Mick May's book. So I think this is 15 pounds. And this is all life membership as well. So they don't have to pay every year. And then um, they can also donate if they want to. So they can then have access to all our fishing centers, which are free. And we only have to raise. So the, the whole idea in the beginning was that it was low cost, high impact. So we weren't paying anyone salary. So none of the trustees are pay, paid a salary. We only pay um, a small admin cost to an administrator and also um, our guides. We pay our guides for the 
for their day for their service and so it is very low cost we don't have to raise that much money and we will be doing um free fishing cent- monthly fishing centers from may till october and so it is seasonal and then it closes for winter and then it comes back in may and it's just it it is our first one is in may 2022 so we're getting ready for that and it is really exciting and also because you know we have the venue already so we might as well offer something um to you know help people and you know see where it takes us because if we raise enough money then we'll be able to start up a new pilot somewhere else as well um so we'll be heading south i think first how exciting well i'm excited to watch what you do in the next decade or two before we wrap it up and let you go to bed is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me Ooh, um what other trips do you, i have a lot of questions for you by the way <laughs> <laughs> what other trips do you have on your bucket list well now that i can't die uh they've changed but they're still there so <laughs> russia I, there's some stuff I wouldn't mind getting down to the Congo just to mm. experience that. That's something I've always wanted to experience. Yeah. More British Columbia. Or BC. Yeah. I, I, I want to fish for Nile perch. That's way up there. Oh, New Guinea black bass. So I really, really, really want to go to New Guinea and that won't be far off. I'll do that trip in the next couple of years. But British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. But like all the stuff where, where I live, you know what the, the problem is, is splitting the year. Well, being in Canada and being in Australia, there's so many places that I want to visit in both those countries that I just don't, I need to make time for. Um, I suspect that you and I will have lots to talk about in future. Let's meet up somewhere for sure. Yeah. Well, I think we should do Canada or I'll come to you in the UK because that's definitely yeah, doable. We'll do definitely doable. Perfect. All right. Before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you really wanted to add or should we uh, let you get some sleep? I think, uh, I think that's it. Thank you so much. Honestly, I was so nervous. I was like, should I have some alcohol? I was like, I'm so nervous. Should I drink to relax myself? And um, honestly, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much. And you just keep smashing it. And um, I'm just really honored to be on here. I feel like I actually haven't uh, deserved a place on here. So I feel very honored right now. Well, I have a dirty little secret here too. I like to get some of you guys, those who have mega potential, I like to get to you guys while you're still young because I hope to be able to do this again in 20 years and look back and kind of giggle and see how far you've come. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I will share all of the links that we spoke about in the show notes. And hopefully we can fish together at some point in the future. Yes. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app 
to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.